episode two, Bladeology, brought to you by LSD Incorporated, hosted by Nick Chuprin of NCC Knives. Elijah Isham of Isham Blade Works. And Jeremiah Burbank of PVK Vegas. So on today's episode, we'll be interviewing Jeremiah from PVK Vegas on how he joined PVK Vegas and the story of how PVK Vegas started. So would you like to start off, Jeremiah, on when you joined the company or when the company started? Roll sure. it back to the time you began. It was 2010. I started full-time with my brother. Uh, PVK is a family-owned business. Yeah, I've sort of been in and out of the company my, my whole life. Josh started the company originally in 1994 uh, in our hometown in Massachusetts. Originally one storefront, a small storefront in our hometown, which I actually remember getting out of school and then walking downtown and using the phone to call our mom. Uh, was my earliest memories of that store. And meeting all the all the guys that used to work there and kind of like hanging out behind the counter and uh, actually poking at uh, early production Spydercos. The civilian always stood out in my in my memory. And then eventually we, or eventually he, I just say we because it's the company, but eventually he expanded uh, to another storefront in um, a local mall. So at a point, there were two physical locations for PVK, which I get this email probably five times a day in DMs constantly. But PVK stands for Pioneer Valley, and then it, originally it was Pioneer Valley Knife and Tool. So we just kept the PVK over the years because that's, I don't know, we've been around so long, people just recognize that um, moniker. And it's the same company. Actually, we were right. We were just at the Kentucky show, and I ran into uh, uh, Peter Martin and Sean Kendrick, and I'd never got a chance to talk to them directly, but they recognized the name uh, and admitted they used to, you know, buy switchblades from us in the late 90s. So we just kind of kept it. Uh, we started in Western Mass. We actually moved um, to New Hampshire at a point uh, because of the switchblade laws in New Hampshire. We had a, a storefront there for probably about a year uh, before eventually making the jump to Vegas, uh, we went out to USN, I think it was G6 or G5 was our first one. Um, and it just seemed like uh, the Wild West, like the, the frontier out there. And talking to people uh, about knife laws, they were, you know, very, very liberal knife laws out there. Switchblades are, had recently been legalized to carry and to sell and to manufacture. Uh, so it seemed like a good fit for the business that sort of roughly brings us to where we are now in PVK Vegas. So again, we just kept the PVK and added on Vegas um, because that's where the business is. So it's a, it's easy for people to recognize sort of where we are located currently. And you guys specialize in Balsong's automatics, pretty much anything that doesn't lock or locks with a spring. Yeah. So that's, that's always kind of been, um, Josh's niche is, is stuff that nobody else wanted to deal with um, sort of throughout the years. Actually, Switchblades and Ballet Songs used to be huge in the late 90s, early 2000s. That was sort of custom knives and production stuff. That was like the, the bee's knees. You know, we sort of, we've been doing business with Microtech for, I don't know, since we started. Microtech they, is like your uh, kind of bread and butter. You are the largest dealer of Microtech? Yeah, that right? yeah, that's right. So, so Josh... Uh, Josh and Tony have known each other for a very long time, uh, and they've been um, they've been doing business together since I don't know '96, pretty much since since we moved on to the internet, uh, and probably a little before then. Actually, we had um, some mini UDTs in our old print catalogs, which some customers still have. I, I know I have got a couple in my collection, but I run into people every once in a while. We used to run like physical, uh, like I think once a month, every couple of months we would put out a print catalog, and we we had Microtech uh, in some of our very early ones. So yeah, we've definitely we definitely have been selling Microtech for an extremely long time. All the way back to the uh, Vero Beach shop. Absolutely, yeah. All, all mm -hmm. the way back till then, when they were in Florida. Yep. But yeah, so Bally Songs and Automatics have always always been sort of. We've never been the largest guys. Uh, I've always just been doing it the longest, and um, those two categories of knives are often the ones that are the most overlooked by makers and manufacturers. So it's sort of a niche that uh, a lot of customers and, and clients and friends fall into. And it's always helped us to sort of focus, you know, what are we buying? You know, this is the stuff we're buying. We're buying the stuff that mostly gets overlooked. And it helps to keep the catalog trim, you know, 
financially making investments in, in those two categories, you know, have worked really well up, up until now. And, and that still continues to be, you know, what we do. I mean, you guys see me at shows. I sort of have that conversation with everybody. I'm like, hey, you know, have you thought about making these? Or do you make these? Or, you know, that, that kind of thing. A year I'm where try and you- convert everyone to the dark side of automatics and bell songs. Yeah, a year of wearing me down, and now I'm here making bell songs. Exactly. Hey, you got me to design one, my first one ever. So that just happened. So I mean, it works. See, there we go. It it people are interested in it because it's it's also a challenge. It's a good challenge for makers if or designers because it's something that they're they're not used to. It, it really it's you know an out of their comfort zone from from the standard sort of frame lock or liner lock folder. Yeah, yeah, I'm boring. After me, I've been making frame locks for what. Six years now, and full time four. So it's just the same thing over and over again. Same question I get: What's your favorite part about being a knife maker? I love working for myself, but I also hate working for myself. Those ones that it over and over again. Yeah, it's yeah, a it's, good it's uh, design good. exercise doing a bally yeah. or an automatic. So I have to uh, tackle the automatic side, but yeah, so many frame lock and uh, liner locks, it gets a little dull after a while. Yeah, it's good to break out of the mold, you know, especially Get if you've you got a following. Yeah, like people people want to see new and interesting designs and mechanisms and, you know, your interpretation of the design or the mechanism. You know, and you guys definitely... are kind of the only people doing that right now, like kind of trying to stir up the whole soup and get people interested in balance along with automatics again. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to have that conversation with as, with as many people as I can um, because it's it's really it is an overlooked area of the market um honestly i'm sure as soon as this airs this it it won't be uh that secret anymore but i think you're talking yeah you're talking us up way too much up it's only episode two we currently have no viewers oh yeah that's that's (laughs) the solid point yeah yeah we gotta build this following (laughs) yeah one step at a time episode one so currently we're at zero viewers except three of us and our parents there, there are uh, there are customers and 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 users out there for that for that segment of of knives and a lot of people ask me you know like oh like aren't ballet songs like just for those kids like on the forums or you know on the YouTubes and it's honestly you know ballet songs Benchmade made a a huge market and following you know based on an entirely different clientele than those kids those kids weren't around you know when those knives were in the height of popularity. You know, they appealed to a lot of guys who wanted to carry a one-handed opening tactical um, knife. You know, in yeah, a sheath in or years, outside a sheath. In 20 years, the landscape has changed drastically. Well, yeah, and also, you know, there's not a bad thing if you're getting if you're getting kids interested in a hobby through a ballet song. Those kids are going to grow up and be really interested in this hobby in general beyond ballet songs. They'll eventually move mm-hmm. to folders, you know, fixed blades, whatever. You're 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 introducing people to the hobby. So I've never understood why people are like, oh, yeah, it was just for kids. That's terrible. Like, yeah, it's really growing our hobby is not what you want to do. Like, come on, guys. Seriously. Yeah, you should always come with open arms to the youngins. We got a lot of uh, young followers yeah, that are just going to grow up to be collectors and enthusiasts. So, yeah. Let's get back to the story of PBK. Now, as I remember, you told me you guys have a really old presence in the forums and you might have even created some of your own forums back in the day. Is that correct? Yeah, so some of this is, you know, passed on history for me because, you know, I wasn't involved in the forums in the 90s when my brother was. But uh, so we we originally actually before we originally had um, a couple different sites, actually. So Josh started, uh, which some customers might remember, which is Blade Auction, which was actually a precursor to almost any used knife site on the internet right now. So Blade Auction was... Blade Auction back in, like, when I first started. It wasn't around for long at that point. Yeah. So, like, you could send your knife in, or you could... It was basically an eBay for knives, um, and that actually was born out of, like, the early Blade Forum days uh, where people were trying to, like, hustle their knives in the used market and having trouble. The early Microholics Forum is still live now. It's recently undergone some pretty serious... uh, changes and updates and so it no longer shows the old uh history book or history timeline but actually so josh did have a hand in starting microholics forum uh back in the day and was credited until the revamping of the site you know that's sort of the knife community likes to you know 
that's what happens. But yeah, the forum days were very, very heated. When I was getting involved in 2010 was probably just the tail end of the really the craze um, of the forums. Uh, we had probably mostly uh, Blade forums at that point. Um, Jersey Devil, we were kind of on and off of. I tried to keep up with it a lot, but it was it was nuts. I mean, the forums are just like, it's an entirely different animal than anything we're used to on social media now. Like, back in the day, like, forums were the make-it-or-break-it kind of situation. You know, for makers and for for the community at large. Like, if you had a bad rep or a good rep on the forums, that might, you know, count or not count for a sale or, you know... Having credit was, was a uh, huge thing. Was the USN around at that time? The first days of USN, let me try to think. Yeah, USN was probably, USN was definitely around 2010. Uh, yeah, because I did, got into it a little late. Yeah, when did 10, USN 10, start? I don't right. know. I got into this in 2009, and USN was a thing then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, I've never been too keen on the forums myself, except for Blade Forums, like for bushcraft and stuff, but yeah. Oh, the forums are like on a response time. And like you have to have your little emojis, and you're part of your different groups, and your tags. I mean, it's it's its own animal. I it like really it. is. <laughs> but there yeah. was a big benefit to the forums, like you mentioned reputability. Uh, that's oh, how yeah. you knew, like, sell to this guy, do not sell to this guy, and that's somewhat of an issue having now on Instagram because things just fall out in the timeline. Once in a while, you'll see one guy says, "Oh, this guy's a scammer. He bought my knife," and a month later, he disputed the charges, and you see a bunch of guys will repost it. And you go not to deal with this guy, but Instagrams is as easy as just make a new account, keep doing what you're doing, or if you keep right. the same account, things are going to die off in a month or so. People aren't going to go back in your timeline and see it. Uh, yeah, on the forum, yeah, I, I echo that. Not to deal with, and they'll vet the people because, like for example, USN. The reason I didn't get on it the first year is I didn't have a paid email uh, until we ended up our family started switching like Optimum, and then we had a paid email. Uh, but you couldn't get on USN unless you had a paid email, so it wasn't that easy to make multiple accounts. If you got banned, you're pretty banned. It's not that easy to just get new paid emails every time. Yeah, I remember right, trying to join USN. <laughs> yeah, I remember trying to join USN with a Gmail and it wouldn't work. Uh, I definitely remember that. Yep, that's option. exactly what turned me off of it. Trying to join with my Gmail and had the same problem. Couldn't join. Had to have a paid email, so I was like, eh, I'll stick to platforms. Yeah, I hated it back then, but think about it now. It was a good way to keep away the bad people the forums. Once you got banned, it was not the easiest thing to get back on there. No, you true. don't just have paid email. Yeah. So um, back to no. the brick and mortar shop. So you guys oh, yeah. moved to Vegas in 2016, right? Um, so we moved to Vegas officially end of 2014. We left... Uh, we left New Hampshire end of 2014, and we moved to Vegas. Probably it took us, took us. I mean, we did it very quickly, uh, but we established uh, the mail order in Vegas uh, beginning of 2015. We opened the storefront uh, probably February of 2017, because I know we just passed our. Wow, we're coming up on our two year, which is insane. Yep. Second year anniversary. That's completely nuts. Don't ever Very open sweet. an ice store. It's a garbage idea. Um, and I'm sure it, it's even more challenging opening one on the Vegas Strip. Oh, yeah. Uh, doing retail is, like, completely bonkers. We were, we've we been mail order for so long that it's, uh, it's like having, like, two teenage stepchildren running around. Like, they're both so much attention, you know? And, like, mm -hmm. if you look away for two seconds... One of them's on fire, and the other one's leaving like the front door unlocked. Uh, yeah, and mainlining acid. Yeah, essentially. Yep. Brick and mortar on the strip has been a blessing for the business. Honestly, we were kind of at the point where it was like, okay, like we need to do something about this. We'd had a lot of private customers, um, a lot of high-end private customers visit the showroom at our previous location. We were doing mail order in 2015 and 16. We were just doing um, sort of right. head things, and then uh, yeah. we had an had enough customers coming in to the sort of private showroom, and they were like, "Wow, like this is really awesome! Like I've never experienced anything like this." You know, you guys should open up like a regular store. Like you guys should look for a place where you can do this, like out in the open, like a regular knife shop in Las Vegas. A friend of ours, through a friend of ours, came across a retail space, which is where we are now, 
and was like, hey, you have five minutes to make a decision. Like, what do you think? And Josh was like, I think we should do this. Uh, I think it's this or we kind of just stagnate. And I was like, all right, I mean, let's do it. Like, whatever, I got your back. You know, let's let's take this to the next level. And we'll know really soon if we shot ourselves in the foot or we're going to continue to grow. And Took a bit so of a far, it's been really good. And it paid off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At some point in business, you either have to expand or just like, I don't know. Die. Yeah, you kind of stagnate. And that's kind of death in you business. Stand die, I mean, you, you see how it happens. Like, I've been in the past five years, I've been through three sh- major, four major shop, unfortunately. Right. But I'm at the place now where I'm like 2,000 square feet. I'm only using a third of it. I have time to grow and expand here. I shouldn't be needing to move again. Yeah, that's you need space, me in there to uh, take up some of that space. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Hopefully, Elijah can get here and take up some of this. Get yeah, there, the right? day right. The day right. Day so, right. Um, so how did you guys choose Vegas? What made you want to be in Vegas over every, everywhere else? The USN show and laws, the laws there. Yeah, the USN kind of, that did it. Like, it felt different. Sealed like, the deal. Yeah, we got invited to go to that show um, by some industry friends. And they're like, hey, you got to you got to come check this out. And uh, like, this is something special. And I think you guys should should be coming here to, to get knives. And at that point, we were sort of like on and off buying customs. I mean, obviously, we we're buying Marfion customs, but we weren't sort of buying customs like we are now. And seeing seeing that environment uh, was really good because neither Josh nor I, I had driven through Vegas years ago on multiple different road trips, but I'd never really stopped. And Josh had never been to Vegas. He'd never really gotten a huge chance to travel. So I think when he saw the city and the possibilities, it was kind of like glitz, glamour, and the Wild West. And it was the perfect, you know, it was the perfect storm for us at the time because we, we sort of needed it. It was the same thing in New Hampshire. We were like, all right, we're doing good. We need to continue doing something else, you know. We need the next quite step. The, and- yeah, quite the paradigm shift. Uh, Massachusetts to Vegas. Yeah, I mean, really, you know, both of us, you know, grew up, Pretty much in the woods, you know? So, you know, mm-hmm. Vegas is a different animal. It's a great place to have a knife shop. It's unto itself. You know, it's uh, it's the center of, of all the Vegas shows now, which I'm more than happy to have. And uh, it draws in a lot of customers, man. Like, uh, I can't tell you. I mean, you guys kind of know because you've spent some time there. But if you've never been to the shop, uh, I really encourage everybody to come down. If nothing, just to experience the weirdness. Like, the Las Vegas Strip like after sunset till like two in the morning is very wild. And, uh, we get, we get the range of customers, which you would not believe anywhere from the highest of high rollers to just like an entire family of French people in on vacation. And the they have Yeah. Like really like they're just, they walk in and they're like, Oh, like I didn't know this was a thing. Like I need like a Victorinox like camper. And it was like, okay, like I got you or like, you know, like people you wouldn't even think to be knife guys. You know, given the opportunity, they're like, oh, wait, actually, like, I need a knife because it's the most simple tool since, like, the dawn of man. And I didn't know that I could even have one. But now, given the opportunity, like, I, you know, I got to have one or, you know, I got to upgrade to whatever the next cool thing is, you know, be it, you know, a microtech or whatever. It's yeah, yeah, probably the only knife shop you can buy a Mech Army flashlight and a Ron Best Phase 2. Right, exactly. <laughs> Yep. And when you're there, you better ask to get into the back room. That's where all the cool customs are, and that's where you leave with a happy ending. And by happy ending, I mean a great deal. <laughs> the VIP. Yeah. Uh, we originally, it's really funny how that space came together uh, and what it used to look like before. We probably spent like, we didn't sleep for like three days, and we just walked around in there with tarps over the front door, like drawing on the floor with Sharpies and like screaming at each other about like the best way to, to sort of plot that out um and if you've been to the shop it makes a great deal of sense but if you can imagine it 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 was basically just one giant open space with no walls and we ended up building walls and sort of fitting the space for our needs and it it worked out really well uh it just took a great deal to get to that point but yeah i still think you should uh yeah maybe convince josh to let me uh interior design that up a bit it's great now, but it could be better. It could be awesome. You know, we're just thinking about it. <laughs> it's got to happen eventually, I guess. Uh, knife art yeah. everywhere. You should balance out the feng shui with Chuck's knife art. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that's right. I got to get some of those from uh, from him. 
I oh, definitely yeah, I would love those, to have yeah. more of that back oh, yeah, there. He'll, oh, he'll talk about his, his art. Yeah. Yeah, he showed us that at uh, Nick's. Anything else you'd like to touch on about PVK Vegas? Uh, let me think. Get your plans, where you're headed next. Uh, where we're headed next, probably... Uh, but it's a, it's a scale, how, how big or how small you guys are, maybe how many employees you guys staff, or talk about your wonderful employees like Dakota and John Taco. Uh, yeah, right now we, uh, we're running um, more employees than we've actually ever had before, which can be uh, pretty intense, but it's great uh, to have so many people in the shop. You know, It allows for multiple different projects to get done. Uh, and it's awesome because we've been able to pull from the community. Um, one of our very cool uh, employees, Cliff. Cliff was a Las Vegas resident who came down to the storefront, or actually before, sorry, before it was a storefront, just a private showroom, Cliff came down a bunch of times when he saw the post on Instagram. And uh, I think one, I don't know, one or two of them probably said Las Vegas or something. At that point, we were trying to keep it kind of secret. But Cliff called and was like, hey, like, can I just come down and like buy knives? And Josh was like, yeah, absolutely. So that was the first time I met Cliff is the couple times he came down to the old, um, the old spot. And then eventually we were just like, hey, like, you know a lot about knives and you're cool. Like, do you want to just like work here? Um, so he's been great. He started out um, just doing weekends and um, he's now I think up to like three or four days a week, uh, which is awesome. And we've got uh, John and Dakota who are also Vegas locals. Those uh, are standby guys. Yeah. So if you ever stop by the showroom, you're most likely going to meet Dakota or, or uh, John Taco. And they're both very memorable faces. You won't forget them once you meet them. Group of great characters. That's right. Yep, they're they're holding it down for everything that needs to be done. Uh, social media, photo, photographs, customization, flame treating titanium, lasering. Uh, you're, you're also very unique because you guys offer a lot of customization services. Whether if you're ordering something with some requests, or so you guys have a whole section that's already dedicated to pre-done custom jobs you've done. If I'm correct, you guys do laser, flame treating, and engraving services, correct? Yeah, talk yeah. about your uh, your laser services. Like you can engrave pretty much anything, right? Probably the first to start doing that uh, as a dealer. There were certainly people doing it before, but as a dealer, I think we were the first people to start doing that. Which is lots and lots of of aftermarket work on knives. It started with uh, one laser uh, and an Ultratech, probably wow. in 2016. I want to say. Great title for something, but uh, actually, no, late late 2015 we started with uh, yeah, that's a, that's the title of my book is uh, a laser and an ultratech, and it started with um with a samurai that Josh did a samurai ultratech with uh, a spectral Hammond on a Tonto satin finished Tonto blade, and it just kind of spiraled from there. It moved to printing on knives, uh, laser engraving on knives, and then also drag engraving on knives and we offer all that um in-house if customers come in the store and they want something you know we can pretty much do it on the spot we can offer that on the website if people have you know birth dates or initials we can do that on their knives and we also do lots of in-house custom builds that we have available on the website which is basically art we do in-house fully custom handle blade hardware you know colored engraved printed on a mix of several different processes we've developed over the years with the lasers and, and all the other technology that we have to make the knives even cooler and, and more appealing than they already were and to offer something special that, uh, that nobody else does, which is part of the, part of the fun in developing those processes It's setting ourselves apart from other dealers and sort of becoming an aftermarket shop in the process. It's, it's wild really. Yeah, a lot of custom work involved. Oh yeah, a- hours and hours. By the shop employees, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and just now, just piles of things that didn't work. Now, do you guys do custom requests? Like, a lot of collectors are looking for something very specific. And like I know, for example, some of my knives, once they leave my shop, they're some some guy they're sometimes gone. Like I've probably only seen twenty percent of knives I've made on Instagram or forums or something, but eighty percent just disappear. Like if someone calls you up and says, "I'm looking for this really rare Microtech from the late '90s," like would you guys be able to find that for them? Actually, that's the other ten emails that I get every day. 
is uh, I'm looking for this knife, and I'm willing to give you all the money in the world to find it. I don't care how long it takes or how much money. For the most part, we're not actually like mercenaries, like knife mercenaries. I'm not. I'm not going to go out and try to find knives for people. Uh, if they're looking for something specific that I know I might come across, that's different. But for the most part, we do not hunt down vintage Microtech. We do come across a great deal of vintage Microtech. Uh, it will sell extremely quickly. That's you are not a mercenary. It. You just dress like one. Maybe that. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's cause for confusion right there. <laughs> chapter two in my book, uh, Lasers and Ultratechs, is I do dress like a mercenary. However, I am not one. Uh, but yeah, no. Well, people email me about that all the time. Like, hey, I'm looking for this knife. Can you find it? And it, no, not really. It doesn't. The time equated for me to find that, it doesn't make any sense. You know, looking for the ever elusive Matt Cook bell song. Yeah. Not gonna happen. Do that for international clients and stuff like that because they can't really contact the U.S. guys or deal with the shipping for it or go to any of these shows because eighty percent of the shows are in the U.S. Oh yeah, uh, we deal with a huge amount of international orders. Um, we've got customers that we've had for decades all over the world um, that we that we deal with and get and get knives to uh, as somewhat of a specialty. We've definitely been contacted by other people and and companies to facilitate getting stuff to their customers because we've been known to be able to do that. Um, I actually just remember sort of going back to a question you had earlier. It's funny the amount of times that people will contact me to see if I would be interested to buy a knife, and it's a knife that either we made in-house, like one of our customs, or it's a knife that they purchased from us uh, a great time ago, like a decade ago. I actually had a guy in the shop last summer who called me who lived in Henderson, which is the town just, it's like 10 minutes away from Vegas. He called me, he's like, hey, I got a bunch of uh, Dalton automatics. You know, you want to buy them? And I was, you know, of course, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, that's one of definitely one of my favorite automakers. So he comes into the shop, and uh, he's just a very average-looking guy. Um, he is a mechanical engineer, which I find is a surprising amount of people who are into automatics tend to be some sort of very mechanical I think, person. I was thinking it's just the knife community, because, like, before I became a knife maker full-time, I was in school for mechanical engineering. I was only a year and a half in, and I dropped out. Right, yeah, uh, it's, it's it's not an uncommon profession, I think, for people in our industry. But anyway, he's just a super friendly guy, just looked very average. So he sits down. We have this uh, this Strider coffee table that we got at one of the USNs. So we sit down at the table, and that's usually like in the back room. That's where all the deals are made. So he's got a little bag with him, and he empties out his bag. And all the knives he has with him are in PVK pouches with... Um, with our logo, and if you're unfamiliar, it's just a black, blue, and white, and it's just a knife opening. It's a switchblade just opening, and it's like a sort of like a fan. But every knife he has is in one of these pouches, and I sort of start to laugh, and I don't say anything right away, but I'm like, wow, these pouches are really cool, dude. Like, where'd you get these? And he's like, oh, the company I bought these for, like, from, like, way back, this is their logo. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's really neat. Like, I've totally seen that before. And he's like, really? And, like, I, I sort of reach in my pocket and I, I toss him a card. And, the plot um, thickens. Right. And then he's like, wait a minute. And I'm like, yeah, homie, like, that's us. And it, it's like, that happens a lot. And he's like, wait a minute. Like, you guys, like, I bought these when you were in Massachusetts. And I'm like, well, we were there, but we're here now. And it's still us. And it was just sort of a very cool moment because it was sort of like full circle. Like, he bought those Daltons from us, I don't know, probably early 2000s. And now he's coming back to sell those Daltons back to me, you know, whatever, uh, almost 20 years later in a different state on the other side of the country. And I did end up buying the Daltons. They were in great condition, probably just as he bought them from us. And I definitely uh, was not able to get all the pouches off of him. He sort of, at that point, very much wanted to keep the pouches. But I, I do have one of the pouches that I took from oh, one of the Daltons. The OG pouches? Yeah. That's awesome. Now... Being on the Vegas Strip, a lot, like you mentioned, a lot of shit might happen. Is there any like interesting stories, like around them drunk people walking into the shop or something going on? Give us uh, some except, bees nuts stories. Yeah, except the bees nuts guys coming all the time. You want to hear like, about Welvin? So yeah, we get actually we get that a lot. Um, Vegas brings out the characters. Uh, we've got lots of characters who live there. We've got lots of characters who visit. Um, a standby character is um, is Welvin. As his his actual name is Welvin, but he might be better known on the internet as the D's Nuts guys. Uh, so Welvin is a is a good friend of the shop. He comes by 
oh, I don't know, probably almost every weekend to say hi and sort of see what's going on because he, he you know, he recognizes that it's kind of like a, a, a pretty cool place where the where the hip cats hang out. And um, so you'll, you'll definitely see Welvin pop up on the Instagram story or on the Instagram live now and again. He's always he's always looking for he's looking for a lot of things. Sometimes he's looking for a taser. Sometimes he's looking for a cigarette. Sometimes he's just looking to hang out. Um, yeah. Uh, we get, what else do we get? Uh, we get some celebrities in there now and again. Uh, we've definitely tried to reach out to a lot of the local DJs. The DJ scene in Vegas is very strong. Um, but like, you gotta like stuff with knives and like, I spent enough time at your shop and on the strip to see a bunch of drunk people walk by when you like super drunk people just wander into a store full of knives and like anything else kind of bad or kind of bad. Yeah. So, I mean, we've definitely, you know, it is, it is all sort of fun and games until it's time to break out the tasers. Uh, I was not there for it. I was actually at, um, one of the shows with you guys, uh, either in Portland or the New York show. It was pretty recently actually, but, um, I did get it. had to be. Yeah. There was a, there was a taser incident. Um, we had a, I don't know if they were, they were, I don't know if they were specifically just super drunk or just being, I'll just say, yeah, obnoxious, but they grabbed something off the wall and they were sort of making a threat. And, um, and John actually just grabbed the taser. Taser taco to the rescue. Yeah. He jumped out there and he just tased the guy, uh, right, right, right in the storefront. And I, I think it was pretty early it was like 1 a.m and i'm sure the person had you know some drinks but was just being in or excuse me in orderly to the point where, where john felt it necessary for the for the safety of all involved to to tase him and then call security uh not that anyone will ever hear but hawaiian security we love you guys you've always got our back uh giant giant samoan dudes at the at the call whenever we need them samoans at the ready Dude, can't argue with that no joke like we get like homeless people walking by and like you just call them and they don't even they just answer and they just ask like what store are you and they, they just come over and there's just two like giant shadows towering <laughs> over these people and then they're just gone they're great they're just gone like all right we got you like no problem the Samoan shadow yeah the weekends ever get, waiting weekends get pretty crazy it's it's fun though I mean you guys have seen it and it's 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 nice how we've sort of cultivated like a neat industry hangout spot. That was never really the intention, honestly, but uh, it just happened. This past USN was sort of the epitome of that. I think we had, like, I don't remember, uh, a great deal. We had, like, Mark, Bill, uh, Matt. You know, we had all these makers in the shop. We had a bunch of customers in the shop, and it was nice to see everybody sort of hanging out, you know, just sort of comfortable in a space, you know, a space that everyone sort of felt was, you know, part of what they do, you know, hanging yeah, out and telling stories. It's become the common ground for yeah. All that is knife. It's right at yeah. the epicenter too. It's like real close. You're like a five minute walk away from the uh, Planet Hollywood where the USN's at. So it's yeah, perfect. Super, super close. A uh, little little farther away this year from uh, from TKI. The, it'll be over at Bally's, but I'm sure we'll we'll yep. still get some people at the shop. Yeah, you have everyone from drunk knife makers to white white sleeping sasquatches. Oh my God, it's crazy. Speaking of TKI, I just bought my ticket. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah you have to call this year. I'll buy my ticket. I'll be there. I actually called I'm last year, too. So. Did you? I think Nick, so. are you going to come? I'm going to be there. because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be exhibiting, somewhat exhibiting at the Vegas Classic, and I'll just be hanging around the SHOT Show. I'm trying to decide if I want to spend the 250 though, on TKI. Well, I mean, it's a great deal because you get a $35 VIP pass to the Vegas Classic Show for free. For free. So, I mean, it's literally, it's, it's, it's a free you ticket. You can't beat those savings. You just go to TKI. Exhibiting pass already. It's just part of the thing, man. That's just how it works. I mean, to be fair, though, TKI is, uh, is great food. There's an uh, open bar for the first, you know. So, is know, the shrimp hour or so? Yeah. Yeah. Drinking a lot of alcohol and eating a lot of good food? Or you offset your cost? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's for TKI? Your heart's content. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll the ticket just... Drink a bunch of booze and eat a bunch of their catered food, which it's is good, great. By the way, food. Yeah, no, Fifty Fifty does a great job with that show. I mean, it's 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 not cheap food. It's it's really good. Yeah, Steve Delac knows what's up. Oh yeah, shout out to Steve. Okay, I'll see if I I, I gotta get my tickets now. Then if I gotta go for that, right? Because I'll be there hundred percent. I, I was just gonna this go and do show schedule is gonna be insane. So yes. I, we guess we have shot show, 
ends on Friday afternoon, and then TKI begins Friday evening, and then the Vegas Classic is on Saturday and Sunday. So, okay, so just 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 a, as a point of reference, um, so TKI is the Tactical Knife Invitational, which is going to be happening at uh, Bally's this year. Uh, usually at Caesars, and that's like a somewhat more exclusive uh, knife show where it's only invited makers, and there is a reasonably hefty uh, entrance fee. I think this year it's 250 bucks, but you do mm-hmm. get um, dinner, you get drinks, and um, you get a box set, which is usually something pretty special. I think in the past years it's been pretty epic. Uh, I know one year it was Psypop. Uh, you buy that set probably. Yeah, I, you get you some, buy it separately, but it's uh, it's like a discounted rate, so it's like very right. expensive. Yeah, and it, exactly. So whatever's in that box is usually like half off of what it really should be. Um, if you're paying like a hundred dollars for the box set, there's probably like eight hundred dollars in goods in there. But TKI is uh, is definitely a Vegas style event. Uh, definitely dress up. Um, if you're in street clothes, you're looking strange. You're standing out. You definitely yeah, want to bring your three piece. Yeah, like it's it's the big guns. It's for sure. Anybody who's showing at that show has has proved to the community or to somebody that they're they're definitely they're there for a reason. Uh, I know I'm really excited. I've seen some posts from Alan Leishwitz, and he is bringing the heat this year. I am super excited. He's building some really awesome automatics. Yeah, there's only thirty or so makers that are invited to come, and it's kind of like arguably the who's who the best in the industry that exhibit there so yeah it's worth I, it to I buy a ticket so. for sure i'll see i'll, I'll give him a call because see if i can even still get a ticket never will you see better knives under one roof that's for sure one rough rough roof oh well, we'll have a bunch of stories you we'll say mater i say mater we'll be doing a pre-show uh, episode because I'll be working like a madman uh, 10 days before the show. Yeah, uh, you'll have to run around the shop and uh, simultaneously record while I... Yeah, like, I'm right now I'm running around the shop recording, but I'm just going to clean up because Robert Carter just left the, uh, yeah, the other day, like yesterday or the day before. I'm just cleaning up from then, but I'll be actually making noise and doing stuff on that pre-episode. Um, and we'll be, we'll be having a post-episode talking about the show because last time we, the G, uh, GX was five days and I didn't sleep. I slept for five days in those five days. This time it's seven days. So we'll see what we, what kind of hectic, whatever nonsense we get into at the show this year. This hey, coming year should be pretty. Should be pretty wild. Oh my god! I'm gonna pour some mezcal. All right. We, so uh, you have a time. I'm glad you kept it. So Jeremiah, let's get back to talking more about PVK. We never really talked about how you actually decided to go full time into PVK yourself. Talk about how your brother opened started this company and. You kind of became part of it where you were beforehand, but what made you make the leap from your past job into doing PVK? Because it's pretty labor intensive. You spend half your life, half your year in Massachusetts, half your year in Vegas, and you travel a shit ton between places. That's a pretty hard way to live traveling back and forth all year. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. All right, so pretty much from the beginning of PVK to now, I've always sort of been... Uh, one foot in and one foot out of the business. Um, from the early days, I was always sort of helping out or getting in the way as a kid. Um, I remember, I couldn't even remember the date, but I was much younger, sitting in the garage, assembling ballet songs we got from the Philippines and setting pins and grinding them and polishing them and putting edges on the blades. So I've always sort of had a part in the business, you know, as like maybe you could call it like a summer job or like a winter job sometimes. Um, I used to sit around and put scale-release Daltons together um, that would come in kits. I would put the springs in, wind the coils, and and assemble the knife. So I've always sort of had a part to do with the business. In 2000, like I said, the end of 2009, um, I was actually living in California at the time, um, sort of pursuing a, a different different course and Josh called me you know we've sort of on and off kept in contact during that that period 
I guess Josh and I's relationship has always been more business than than family anyway. But like I said, I think that's because I don't know. We've always worked well together in a business situation. So he just gave me a call. And he's like, hey, you know what's going on? And you know there there were some extenuating circumstances back home and i was kind of like oh like i guess that's what time it is and and it just so happened at that point he was sort of going through a divorce i was like oh that sucks and he's like you know i really like i need that that needs to happen i'm like oh okay so he asked me to come back and give him some help because the business was suffering because of it so i packed up my bags in california and i went back to massachusetts and that was sort of, you know, just diving in deep into the very deep end and just rolling with it and getting to know the system, getting to know the email, getting to know stuff I hadn't done in the past. Like I said, I've always had something to do with the business, but it's been more the physical aspect and less of the coordination and the customer service, the phone calls, the ordering, you know, everything that, that we do to make uh, PVK run. So that was sort of actually, I think that year, that summer was the first time uh, I spoke to Microtech and did a phone order. Uh, I did a Benchmade order, which was like at the time super exciting for me because uh, actually I think I was ordering. We were still able to get like 42s back then and we were still able to get um, Microtech Select Fires, which was like a personal favorite of mine. So 2010 was really, that was that was the full time you know, time to step up and and go full time brother brother business, and uh, it's pretty much been like that ever since. Um, in the last year or two, I have moved less hands on directly with Vegas, and like this year's been nuts. I've been traveling all over the place and going to the shows and trying to really focus on advertising for the business because once we got the shop up and running you know, with employees and such, I didn't need to have such a, like, death grip um, on Las Vegas as I had had in the past to make sure it was working. So this year's been great because we got shirts. I was able to sponsor the Knife Nuts and meet Levon and those guys. I was able to work on collaborations um, and do all these new projects that, you know, we've been thinking about doing but just haven't had the time. So really, in this case, having employees has allowed you know me personally to expand and get out there and you know s- spread the good word of of pvk and work with people i've been dying to work with for a long time in the industry now do you want to talk about your personal brand as impera um yeah sure so at some point I, I don't know if we all do or or certainly i did but you spend so much dang time with knife makers and machinists and dealers and collectors you sort of get to thinking and i've always sort of been a a NUC guy, and I've always been into NUCs. Um, I've always definitely, you know, John Gray's Keeper has always been like a Grail NUC. Um, you know, Cypops are awesome. So I, I sort of, I designed my own NUC, which I thought was pretty original and pretty interesting because it's something that I hadn't seen before. It was uh, it was a two-piece two piece NUC held together with uh, uh, neodymium rare earth magnets, and that was Impera, and that was sort of my foray into managing another thing all at once like another instagram account another business on top of my other business on top of whatever gone very strangely uh it sort of was really hot at first and then it died out then i didn't pay attention to it and then it was super hot and actually uh it's it's been cool i've gotten a lot of really good responses i know uh you nick we rode down to blade show what year was that? Two years ago? Two years ago. And you'd, I guess, never seen it or something. And I had it in the car with me, and you seemed to like it. And then, so since then, we've been talking about doing a collaboration, which is pretty in cool. A bland, in a bland market of nuts or just an item with a hole in it, he does something cool and different. Essentially, to the guy explain it, he has two halves, and each half has magnets pressed on the inside, so it's stuck together as one item, and you have one nut in one hand. Or you'd split them apart very effortlessly. Now you have two knocks for dual wielding. But besides that, it's also a really like, cool fidget toy. It's very loud and clicky because you could. there's four magnets, so you kind of slide them and disconnect halfway, and they pretty much split apart. It's very noisy. It's very clicky. But guys that like clicking pens, it's like that times 20. It's very, it has a high fidget factor to it. 
Yeah, it's definitely and, like once once you start playing with it and get it, you just kind of keep you sit there and you kind of click it back and forth. Yeah, ever since I got mine, I've not put it down really. Kind of Wait, a, you have them? bullshit. I don't have yeah, one. Just got one. Just got mine delivered the other day okay. in person, hand delivered. So, okay, so I brought two down to New York. I gave Elijah his, and I totally forgot to bring mine when we came down to see you and Rob. So I have yours on my desk, but then I, I thought we would see you again before I left. I'll have to mail it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm enjoying mine thoroughly. But yeah, so it's it's worked. The apparent thing is is a developing conundrum. But uh, yeah, now um, we're into a single Phase finger two? design, which will be yeah. really interesting. I think I think that'll be really cool because it's like the perfect yeah. size to fit into like a watch pocket. Yeah, I've never wanted to make enough, but I, a lot of guys message me, oh, you're going to make like swag items and photogenic items. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean, photogenic items? And that's what I kind of realized. Like, I always Small thought little those, curios that you can just put in your pocket and fiddle with. I, I always thought the Nux, those worry coins and all that stuff was stupid. Non-functional pocket art. It, yeah, and then right, essentially I realized even Nux is just non-functional pocket art so they could do their handsome photos and stuff like that. Well, I saw Jeremiah's and I always thought it was cool and I reached out to him and I was like, okay, let's do it. Not, but I want to make one using your concept because it's very individual, but I don't want to do a two finger. I want to do a single finger. So it's very yeah. small. Uh, so we have two ideas for one. One, it's going to be the same concept as his half and half split uh, to where it splits up. And the other one's actually going to be a single finger where it doesn't split, it doesn't split up, but it kind of can't the side with a little bit of a stash can inside of it. Uh, for, uh, for hiding all sorts of items. All sorts right? of whatever you'd want to hide, hide in there. For hide in a, in a quarter-sized area. Right. The 2D on the single finger is complete, and on to phase two for the 3D. That should be a... Get that going pretty soon here. Yeah, I'm working with a, a guy right now to, to get that uh, 3D rendered up because I am just terrible at that, but I really need to get better at the... I can I can draw worth sort of a quarter of a damn on paper, uh, but I can't. The computer drawing is beyond me still. Need to teach cool. you some draft site. Yeah, I think we're about an hour in. Um, so, is there anything else you'd like to mention about PBK before we before we go? No, I think I pretty much covered all the rough bases. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's it. If you uh, if anybody out there wants to use a coupon code, it'll work a couple of times for a discount on the website. It'll be a uh, L S T and then number six, all one word, all caps, L S T six. That'll work a couple of times for an undisclosed discount. If I see it go through, I will make sure to hook up that order as a thank you for listening to this awesome podcast. And uh, I hope I spread some light uh, on an otherwise mysterious dealer. And I'd like to once again mention the Bladeology podcast Instagram. Uh, we're going to start posting a lot more in there. The next episode is going to be either me or Elijah. So look out for that. We're going to mention it so that way you guys could ask us personal questions that we have talked about, plus our just generic questions. And please reach out to the Instagram to let us know who you like us to interview and what topics you like us to touch on. To. So Nick Chuprin out. Elijah out. Jeremiah out. Thanks, guys. Where's your fucking quote? Oh, shit. I totally forgot that. Uh, yeah, so did I. Crap. I'm just a Muswell hillbilly for life. Do you want to there jump back? I'll say Nick Trooper now, and you'll just you'll edit that in after I say Nick Trooper now. Yeah, how do you want to do, do the quote? Just be like, here's my quote for the day. I was just trying to think about what my quote was going to be again. It was, uh, the, the laws of your reality don't apply to mine. I hate our new segment. <laughs> <laughs> you don't do that. It's Great. funny. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that off. Not bad. Like that, good. Because, uh, Morgan Freeman has cotton candy. Your argument is invalid. Okay, I can't find it. So you can use the quote: "The laws of your world do not apply to mine." Wait, did you really just Google that? Yes, dude. That's like that's some shit. Right I was there. pretty sure that was in some movie. That's why. No. All right. The transcendental object at the end of time. Every time we slip into reverie, trance, or dream, we form a relationship with it. In mental hyperspace, we encounter the long shadow. <laughs> I mean, that's great. When did you write that? That's Terrence McKenna.
much. So you guys submitted questions on Instagram for uh, Jeremiah to he's representing PVK in our podcast to answer and talk about so you guys get to know the business and who Jeremiah and Josh are. Um, you want to start with some questions, Elijah? Uh, yeah, we got a couple questions here for uh, Jeremiah on the Instagram. Let's see. Uh, Waz Not Waz would like to know uh, to tell you more about the team at PVK Vegas Shop and what superpowers do they have? Uh, that is an excellent question, uh, especially since we have cultivated an excellent staff based specifically on their superpowers and their abilities. Knife Nuts Dave would like to ask you, what does a key grip do? Oh, that's coming from uh, a conversation Dave and I were having actually about uh, previous work in the days before I was full-time uh, with PVK. I did. Uh, I lived uh, in and out of LA for a bit, and I did some key grip work. Uh, the key grip, just essentially those are the guys helping uh, the camera crew and assisting with uh, specific needs on set, like especially when the camera crews in motion on a dolly or a truck or a crane uh you're there to assist with pretty much whatever they need um sometimes that can be a more liberal interpretation um but essentially that's that's what a, a key grip is the guy in charge of telling the other grips hey help this help this guy out over here and, and just managing people uh matt this can ask if spain attacks italy from the rear would greece help uh, I think so. Uh, Greece is uh, not only an important country, but thing in, in general. And, and anytime you know Spain and Italy have interactions, Greece is always uh, just a great a great thing to have in there, have in between the two um, as a mediator um, to reduce friction. You know, in negotiations, it's very important. Okay, I don't know what you're talking about, but Matt, if John Gray wants to mount you, we'll gladly watch. That's the spirit. Mm-hmm. 